This is episode number 166 of the Rising Man podcast with Dylan Smith. You can only go as far as the health of the vehicle that carries you. Welcome back, Rising Man family. Thank you for joining me here today. This is Jetty Azuma checking in, your host and the founder of this Rising Man movement. So honored to be here again with you. Thank you for joining us. Before we jump into today's guest, I want to make sure you guys are also, again, aware of our three-day wilderness immersion for men that's coming up very, very soon, April 16th to 18th. It's called Elements. If you haven't checked it out right by now, make sure you go to risingman.org slash elements, see what it's all about. We're going to be out there for three days, scouring the land the way our ancestors used to, foraging food, learning how to build fire by friction, and connecting in a way that only men can in our natural environment. So go check it out today. All right, my guest for today is a really special dude, someone I'm becoming a very, very quick fan of. Dylan Smith is a certified Ayurvedic practitioner and holistic health educator based in Sydney, Australia, where he runs and operates the Vital Veda Clinic for patients and for those who love to nourish themselves with precious herbal elixirs. Aimed at uncovering the root cause of ailments, Dylan shares wisdom through his podcast, teaching programs, and travels the world to share his holistic passion. To teach patients to effortlessly integrate foundational techniques into their daily lives so they can thrive. Regularly traveling to India to train with an internationally renowned family of Ayurvedic doctors, Dylan is devoted to learning, sharing, and radiating this ancient knowledge for everyone to utilize and enjoy, to experience total wellness and bliss. In this episode, Dylan made some massive connections between our health and the way our lives unfold. Dylan impressed me right off the bat, proclaiming that women's health is an important consideration for all of us, every single one of us, being that all life comes from women. It's like a no-brainer, right? Dylan dropped valuable information on men's health and how we can take better care of our bodies to have a more pleasant experience in life, including being more prepared for the challenges we face. As an Ayurvedic physician, Dylan explains some of the core principles of this ancient healing modality and how each of us can better prepare our bodies for the lives we desire. And lastly, Dylan drops some wisdom on men's reproductive health, an often overlooked and underrepresented part of a fully integrated man. Without further ado, Dylan Smith. All right, Rising Man family, I have Dylan Smith on the show today, joining us all the way from Sydney, Australia. Dylan, it's good to have you here, man. Thanks for joining us today. It's good to be here. I'm excited to be on a different show that I'm usually on. Yeah, a little bit different. And you're also a different kind of guest than we've normally had. (laughs) I have a lot of my own personal curiosities, which usually makes the hour sprint by. So let's get started. And the first question I'll ask you is, for you, what does it mean to be a man? Well, for me, a man means knowing both the feminine and masculine aspects within your being and knowing that they are interconnected, they cannot be separated. The masculine is like that being, that unmanifest state. And you need the feminine to enliven that into creativity and creation. So you really got to have both. I think for me, a man is first of all, knowing and experiencing both your masculine and feminine and the divine play of them too. That's the foundation. And then being a man for me is an ability to really respect and honor the women in my life and the feminine beings in my life, whatever gender they are, as well as the masculine. 
like what you do, I'm just beginning to learn more about rites of passage for man. You know, masculine and feminine, it goes beyond gender. That's more foundational. It's more in the subtle realms that I'm more established with because I've been meditating for many years and I've been directly experiencing that state of unmanifest. And within that is where these subtle manifestations of those energies of masculine and feminine. But now I've recently been beginning to explore like really manhood. And like what you do, I've been going on rites of passages. I've been going into the bush for a few days with men and really talking expressing ourselves as us men don't tend to do because we like to process our emotions inwardly and in our cave. I'm learning more about that and it's beautiful and I appreciate what you're doing and I'm seeing more the value in that. Yeah, well, I like that you broke it down into having both masculine and feminine components. That's something that I've had many guests in here. We've talked about that. And I think it's good that we're opening ourselves up to that. I think that's part of the older paradigm where men had an expectation or were expected to be only masculine. And I think that if we just really boil it down to what we mean when we say masculine or feminine, that those are just words that describe a series of characteristics or qualities that we all possess as humans. Maybe we express them in different proportions, but that's something that we all possess it equalizes the field. Now, I had a conversation with someone recently who challenged me on this. They said, well, if that's true, if what you believe is that we all possess masculine and feminine, then why even bother making a distinction between man and woman? What is that distinction? What is the separation? And I thought I would pose that question to you and see what you had to say about that. Well, generally, the man, the male, has a dominant of masculine energy. We've got to respect the biology. We can't just say, okay, we are all masculine, feminine, we are infinite spiritual beings, we are both. That's there, but we also have to honor more, you know, mm. not just be on that subtle, airy-fairy level of being. We have to also consider the relative level that we're living in. And I have a male body, I have endocrine glands that are masculine. That changes hormones and that creates a certain output of emotions and way of thinking, way of living, and that's masculine. So, same with the feminine. Believe me, I'm more along the lines of what you're saying, but I also know that the devil's advocate says, well, with modern science and medicine, we can alter our hormonal levels. We can alter our sexual organs to a point where gender is elective at this point or can be elective. What are your thoughts on that? I think all that altering that is occurring, first of all, it can definitely be natural. And one man, for example, or one boy may be born with a higher amount of feminine characteristics and mm -hmm. that's fine. But when we start altering with things like surgeries and hormonal replacement therapy, then we start trying to manipulate nature. And this is typical modern medicine approach. Mm. You know, it's nice, but you're comparing to nature's creativity and nature's infinite organizing power, which is very hard to overshadow and you're dealing again at a very relative state. And I've seen patients, you know, who are doing agenda changes and sex changes and on hormonal replacement therapy. It's fine. Like that's what they want. I not necessarily go so deep into their emotions. I'm dealing with their health complaints. When you're going to do a significant intervention like hormonal replacement therapy or surgeries, there's going to come with some costs, biological implications. You know, you're comparing that to the power of nature. 
Of course, this topic is highly subjective. I appreciate you giving your opinion. I know I could just as easily bring someone else in here that would say yes, but if we're able to do these and we have figured out how to do this, then isn't that also a part of nature? You know, our brains evolving is a part of nature. So I don't want to go too deeply into the debate because I'm mostly just curious. However, one more thing I would ask you about that is, have you seen some of the consequences, either positive or negative with people you work with? I would say a common theme with the amount of patients that I have seen is there's some mental imbalance, an ungrounded nervous system. It's a big mentally shift. If you're going to change genders, it's a huge thing for your confidence, for whatever it is, Mm. for you to metabolize that mentally. And then you got added into that all the hormones that the doctors are pumping into you and all the hormones are connected like a web. It's not just reproductive hormones, that's connected to the thyroid gland the melatonin, the adrenal gland, so we can see issues with energy levels and fatigue Mm. and then thyroid health. And as you said, I'm not putting these down. It's weighing up the differences, but it's not like only weighing up the biological differences. If this person emotionally wants to go according to this gender, that's important. We need to respect that and facilitate that and help that as well. When I see someone having sex change, I'm going to support them to go in that direction, to support their physiology. I think really the key is to get that individual to really tap into their state of being and experience, like not just intellectually knowing that, but directly experiencing that, experiencing that you are the unmanifested absolute consciousness. Uh Then you can make perhaps more greater decision that is in tune with nature's plan and know that nothing is your desire. When you have a desire, it's not your individual desire. It's all the desire of cosmic intelligence. That's fascinating, man. It just made me start thinking about the intelligence of nature and the natural world and then human intelligence. Even just hearing myself say that, why would I even create a separation between the two? As time has gone on, as history has gone on, there's been a greater divide between the natural world and the human world that we exist in, whether by choice or by consequence of the way we've existed, we don't even see ourselves as part of the animal kingdom anymore. It could open up a huge debate, Mm. which would probably make a lot of people uncomfortable too. (laughs) But I really appreciate you weighing in on that a little bit, because I think it's something that's not talked about enough. Let's direct towards speaking about men's health, because this is what you're an expert in. You've been doing this for the past, I think it's seven, eight years that you told me before we started recording. So first of all, just give us a little bit of, for those of us who don't know about Ayurvedic medicine or what Ayurveda is, just a brief understanding of what that is and how it applies to men's health specifically. Okay. So Ayurveda is a Sanskrit word. Ayur means life and Veda means knowledge or science. So Ayurveda is the science of life. The science of life, what a broad and holistic body of knowledge that is. It's Mm. everything in life. The essence of Ayurveda is allowing you to live in tune with nature or supporting you and giving you the knowledge and tools to live in tune with nature. You know, this includes living in tune with the seasons, living in tune with the day, circadian medicine, which was, by the way, a 2017 Nobel Prize winning science. So when you live in tune with nature's rhythms, you live in tune with your own biological rhythms, you live in tune with your own human nature. So your own human nature is perfect health. So when we want to enliven health in someone, because Ayurveda is a traditional medical system, we just bring out their perfect health. Everyone has the memory of perfect health. When you were born, you were pretty much perfectly healthy. Even when you weren't, maybe some children are born without an organ. They still have the memory of perfect health on a cellular level. So the way that we bring homeostasis in the body, the way that we attend to a disease is to enliven the health within that individual. 
because that memory is there. We need to remind that body on a cellular level what it is to be healthy. Then the disease will dissipate. That's the essence mm. of Ayurveda. And it does that through diet, lifestyle recommendations, herbs, treatments. Wow. That brings up a lot of curiosity for me. <laughs> I'm thinking specifically about men and I'm thinking yeah. about some of the greatest health issues that modern men are facing right now. Mm -hmm. Depression, anxiety. We talk about high rates of male suicide. We talk about a lot of mental and emotional health comes to mind. What if we just started there from an Ayurvedic perspective? Yeah, I mean, just more on Ayurveda specific for men's. Then we got to look at like, what are the hormonal patterns of the male? But like depression is a huge topic and it's very much related with hormones, of course, because serotonin, dopamine, the common treatment antidepressants are serotonin uptake inhibitors. So it's giving a serotonin. But yes, definitely depression is a huge epidemic and also suicide. There's many reasons for it. In Ayurveda, there's a key concept of maybe people have heard of doshas or body types, vata, pitta, kapha. We'll stay away from that for a sec, but there's a thing called the emotional body types. Simply, this is sattva, which means purity, lightness of being. Then there's rajas, which is like stimulation. Then there's tamas, which is inertia or dullness. And these are three prime attributes in nature. Everything in nature, these are dominant. Someone is tamas, they're feeling dull. They're feeling darkness. They're feeling inertia. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to get out of bed. What is life anyway? Or the world doesn't need me. This is how we deal with it by looking at these three prime attributes. And the causative factor of that can be many things. A huge thing is blue light, having the lights on bright after night because this is suppressing melatonin. Melatonin is like the king of hormones. It's known as the hormone of darkness. And it's a powerful antioxidant for the brain. It's powerful anti-inflammatory for the brain, powerful anti-cancer, but it's the king of hormones. So when the melatonin is well-balanced, the dopamine is well balanced. The serotonin is well balanced or the mind hormones associated with the mind. So if we're blasting lights in our face, in our eyes after sunset, then we're getting quick hits. It's like social media as well. It's not just the social media of a quick hit of dopamine. Oh, I'm going to have a like on my post. So I'm going to get a quick hit of dopamine. It's also the blue light itself gives this dopamine fluctuation and we become dopamine deficient. So we want quick things to give us dopamine again. So oh, I'm going to go for some organic chocolate or I'm going to go for a marijuana joint or I'm going to go for a drink or a nice one night stand. These are quick hits of dopamine because we're unstable in our hormones and our ability to be content with our life. Yeah. Well, that's really fascinating because with other guests, we've talked about depression, we've talked about anxiety, male suicide. Like you said, the statistics are there. The research oh, yeah. and data shows us that this is really going on. And what I'm hearing from you is that from a medical perspective or from a scientific perspective, it's very much chemically related because the chemical reactions in our brain stimulates our impulse for activity. It's the chemicals that drive our impulses. Let's say I have a habit of smoking marijuana because historically that's made me feel good or given me dopamine hits, even if I didn't know that's what I was doing, then as soon as I'm feeling deficient in something, that's what my impulse is going to tell me to do. Go do yeah. one of these things that has given you this relief before. Is that what I'm hearing from you? Yeah. I mean, you look at people who smoke marijuana often, like I guarantee you they have a circadian mismatch, which means they're not getting enough sun and they are up late at night in front of blue light, whether it's their artificial lights in their house or in somewhere, or they're on screens. Because as I said, with Ayurveda, the kind of approach for treatment is to enhance the sattva, which was the attribute 
of purity, of lightness. So it's just the opposite. Ayurveda's like increases like, opposites decrease opposites. So if someone's feeling darkness, depressed, tamas is darkness. We literally, we have to bring the light in. That's our approach. Bring the light. How do we bring the light? It can be literal light, like sunlight. And it can be light, like, you know, meditating, doing pure things, having loving relationships, going for a walk in nature, hugging someone. Anything that gives light and happiness to that person we need to just increase and then ultimately the darkness will dissipate. So it's not so much about let's remove the darkness, let's block a hormone so that that doesn't arise. That of course can be necessary when it's suicidal. Definitely I work with patients who are on antidepressants and they're important at times. Again, this is the overhead approach. Not so much let's look at the depression and try to get rid of that. Thing. We need to just increase the light. The light is within them that we need to enhance that. Whether it means going to that person's house and pulling them out of bed saying, come on, Jetty, we're going to go watch the sunrise today. No, no, I don't want to get out of bed. I'm depressed. What do I want to do in life? Just get them. If you take a depressed person to watch the sunrise and then even have them do a backbend, it is impossible for them to think negating thoughts. The chemistry <laughs> that's created by the sunrise and when they do a backbend, because backbend is like in yoga, we do this Surya Namaskar, this sun salutation. There's so many overlapping layers that make sense to me because I have a background in somatics, which is really just the study of the body and how the body is in space and the folding posture, right? Of kind of slouching over mm. and its association with depression in contrast to doing a backbend, which opens up and exposes. It's really fascinating what you're bringing here, man. Actually, I love that you bring an element of logic to the conversation. Science and logic, in my opinion, is very masculine. So I know one of the problems <laughs> with guys who are depressed is they need to understand the logic and the A plus B equals C method to getting themselves to do anything. That's one thing I've learned about guys like, well, if I can help you understand this in a way that makes sense, then maybe you're more willing to go and hug another man or maybe you're more willing to go and attend a men's circle so that you can let the light in, right? And yeah. there's so many different ways to do that. Before we got on here, we were talking about some of the work that I do and talking with men about purpose. That's always something that comes up because it's, it's inherently, in my opinion, it's inherently masculine to have a drive, a sense of focus of what you're directing your energy towards. So I know you mentioned Dhamma and I wonder what is the Ayurvedic perspective on purpose and how that connects to men and being in their masculine. So Dharma like what you said, it's such a strong desire and it's on the mind, not just of men, but of everyone, maybe more so on men, because the dharma of a woman may be more clear than of that of the man. But in Ayurveda, it's said that dharma is one of the things that an individual yearns for. They yearn to have purpose, but it's not really that because what's important to know is, first of all, dharma means what is the most evolutionary thing you can be doing right now? My dharma is not an Ayurvedic physician full-time. Most of the time it is. But when my partner becomes pregnant, my dharma is to be not so much an Ayurvedic physician, it's to nourish her, be more attentive to her. You know, what's a woman's dharma when they're pregnant? It's not that they're doing their work anymore, they're resting more. What's a woman's dharma when they give birth? What's the man's dharma when the woman gives birth? It's to attend to that woman and nourish her and serve her and protect her while she gives the nourishment to the baby. So when you know that dharma changes all the time, but maybe your dharma is to stop and take time to establish yourself in being before performing the action of making any executive decision. Yeah, that was one of the biggest realizations I made in my mid-20s was I always expected that my purpose, my dharma, was a fixed property 
like I was digging for treasure and that once I uncovered it and once I could look at it and hold it and declare it from the top of the mountaintop that I could etch it in stone and never have to think about it again. And then for the rest of my life, I could just put my nose to the grindstone and never think of it, never really consider it. It would just be present in what I did every day. And man, that created so much suffering for myself because I was trying to find this needle in a haystack. Whereas the blind spot for me was recognizing that I was already experiencing my purpose in looking for it. That was my dharma at that time, was a combination of slowing down, of being more simple in my life, of removing some of the pressures that really weren't mine. They were inherited from my parents, society, et cetera, and just taking a look at what I wanted. That was my purpose when in my mid-20s, was really doing what I needed to do to take a good look at that. And that's evolved so much. We're talking about almost 10 years ago. So I love that you bring in that evolutionary component to this conversation of purpose, that it's not something that's a fixed property. And... I'd like to hear more about where that fits in in the Ayurvedic understanding. I don't know if it's helpful to still talk about men's health specifically or just a general person's health with creating alignment or connection to their dharma. The way to kind of find your dharma, we say, or to align with it is just find what you are talented at, what's something you are uniquely talented at that no one else is. And it doesn't mean like, I want to become a men's facilitator, but there's hundreds of them. But no, how will you uniquely do that? If that's your dharma to do that at some given point of time, you have a unique way of doing that. So there's something that's completely unique to you and couple that with how you can serve the world. That will assist in you living your dharma. And I think an important point to, I guess, live that is first you have to establish yourself in being. You have to be healthy. You have to have a state of health so that that's clear for you. You should not try to find your dharma. It should come through you. Everything in life, if there's too much thinking involved, we have some work to do. We want to just, as I said, everything is the desire of cosmic intelligence. I had a desire recently. I've been doing this men's work. As I told you, we went for a walk on the bush and it was amazing. Four days up in a mountain, like not even on tracks. We were bush bashing and it was fantastic. And I'm like, this is such important work. I want to start a men's circle in Sydney, in the city where I live. And, you know, I just call up a friend who I knew was also wanting to do something like that and just happened easily, frictionlessly, effortlessly happened. Now that's a sign of support from nature. That's a sign that that's something that is dharmic because nature's supporting it. There's no friction. If it was like, oh, I couldn't find a venue and it was having trouble to get men to join the men's circle and all this thing, then there's some friction that's not exactly the most evolutionary thing I could be doing right now. Is there a belief of also pushing through? Yeah, of course. We have to have some you know, intention. Intention should be there. But the more refined you become, it's more you know, nature's organizing and just the level of intent is enough. You know, you could just intend something and it comes to fruition. Now, of course, that's a more evolved state. Definitely, we have to work, but you should enjoy that work. It should feel frictionless. Of course, we have to make the call and gather the people and write the newsletter or whatever it is. You can't just sit at home and everything happens for us. But does that feel frictionless to you? Or do you feel friction? Does that feel rough? You need to tap into your fine level of feeling. And back to your question, it's, how do you bring yourself to that state where you can determine and you can discriminate what is frictionless or what do I feel aversion to? How do I follow what's charming? And then when I follow what's charming, nature organizes and it's very easy for me to achieve whatever it is. And for that, we need to establish ourselves in a state of being. And we can do that with Ayurveda because Ayurveda aligns us with natural law, with the law of our physiology, the law of medicine, as well as 
of course, meditation, which is the easiest way to establish yourself in a state like that. One thing that I'm really excited to ask you about is you had a very interesting perspective on how part of men's health is actually supporting women's health. And before we migrate over to that topic, I just wanted to see if there is anything else relative to men's health specifically, maybe things that you see a lot of men in our generation that we're just missing, that we're not aware of, that's not on our radar, or things that we need to be looking out for, given the shifting climate of all the different climates, right? Not just the weather, all the different things that we're experiencing. Is there anything else that you think men really need to be aware of with regards to health? Very glad you asked that question. I'll just say briefly, the prostate health, it's a huge epidemic and more men get prostate cancer than women get breast cancer. Did you know that? I didn't, no. My mom had breast cancer, and but I didn't know that. The breast cancer is much more than the prostate. But again, it's because us men, we don't talk about these things. Why do I see mostly women in my clinic? Because the men don't want to go. They, they'll only go if something's really wrong. Like if they're having, you know, some burning urination or some long lasting premature ejaculation. Perfect example is, do you guys have Saved by the Bell in Australia? You know that show Saved by the Bell? One of the iconic characters, his character's name was Screech. The actor's name is Dustin Diamond. It was just in the news that he came out. He has stage four cancer. He had this huge growth on his neck. And he even admitted, he's like, I was afraid to go to the hospital. I was afraid of what people would think if they saw me with this big thing on my neck. And I was like, wow, not all men are that way, of course. But certainly it's a huge part of men's culture is we don't go and take care of things until it's like dire and oftentimes too late. And I'll take it a step back further. It's not only taking care of things when something comes up, because if that happens, definitely go see a physician or a practitioner, but get into the preventative medicine, get into Ayurveda. You know, I'll have people come to me, again, mostly women, of how can I be more vibrant? How can I be healthy? And that's what Ayurveda is key because we need to see the epidemics of chronic disease now. And there's absolute epidemics of infertility is a big one and huge one. And by the way, fellas, you're 50% of this. So the male infertility epidemic is huge. So for any of you fellas listening, like the sperm count has reduced 50% in 40 years. And that's since we've been measuring it. That's like 150, 200 years or more. Infertility is huge in men. And just so people know, if they just come up for them, the semen analysis, which will typically be conducted when the couple has been trying for a while and they'll say, okay, man, we've got to consider you. It's not very adequate. And unless you have a really experienced practitioner who can assess it and the normal range of sperm keeps dropping, they keep bringing it down the regulation and regulatory bodies because it's just dropping like crazy. Let's just pause there for a second. What is the Ayurvedic explanation? At least your understanding as a clinician, why do you think that's happening? One reason is because we're keeping phones in our pockets and zapping our genitals because non-native electromagnetic fields penetrates three main areas of the body, the brain, heart, and genitals, because this is where the vaulted gate in calcium channels occur. So when the AMF device is there, it releases excess calcium into the tissue that creates excess free radicals and oxidative stress. So that happens everywhere in the body, but primarily brain, heart, genitals. And, you know, overweight is one issue, stress. Those are the main causative factors and hormonal imbalance. But yeah, it's a huge epidemic and we need to strengthen our reproductive essence more, which is not just having a good amount of sperm. It's vitality. It's our masculinity. It's our strength, our immunity. For example, ejaculating very regularly and through masturbation or through sexual relations that are not loving, you will feel depleted. You will feel low immunity. You will feel low zest of life. You will feel that rajas 
back to the mental goodness, that stimulation. I just want things to give me a little hit. And then if that gets depleted, you'll fall into the tamasic state, that state of inertia, depression. Before we move on, because this is really fascinating too, what about testosterone? We haven't talked about testosterone yet. And I'm even trying to see where the overlap is and all the things, other things we've talked about. You know, um, a lot of people associate testosterone with masculinity. I'm interested in just your thoughts as an expert. What do you have to say about testosterone? We got to think of the hormones as a web. So look at all the hormones. And again, it's if you're going to be doing those quick dopamine hits, it's going to irritate the testosterone. We want to also look at what is their mental state? Are they fooling that? Oh, I'm going to be very masculine and just keep like a rock in front of me, be like a rock and not allow any emotions to express. That can create like an imbalance of testosterone. So yeah, I think we need to just consider all the hormones. And the key is the circadian rhythm, the circadian cycles, because our light and dark, a lot of hormones are light mediated. Testosterone is not, but a lot of the other ones are light mediated, which means the light that hits our eyes sends information to our pituitary gland, which secretes hormones. So if we've got the blue light at night, we're going to be getting the wrong hormones. And if we're not getting daylight in the day, not even through a window, it has to be no glass there, then we're going to be missing out on hormones. Okay. So this is such a 21st century like biohacker question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of guys with their attention spans are going to focus in on this. If there was the top things that guys should really be doing simply that everyone has access to, to have better health. I heard you talking about circadian rhythm. So it sounds to me like just light exposure. What are some of those top things that everybody could be doing that would improve health tremendously? The first thing is sipping hot water. The hotter, the better. It's not about how much water you drink in a day. It's about how much you sip hot water frequently because you don't want to drink anything cold, no cold drinks, no cold foods, because that freezes the metabolic fire, not just our metabolic fire in our digestion, not just our digestive fire, but all the fires in our body, the tissue metabolic seats. There's a fire in us. This is Ayurveda, but you can correlate with modern science easily. But there's a fire which metabolizes everything. How does it metabolize your bone tissue growth? How does it metabolize the way your muscle tissue develops? How does it metabolize the way your reproductive essence, which is sperm for a man, how does that metabolize that that is strong and grows? It's the fire. We call it Agni in Ayurveda, your metabolic fire. And if you just keep drinking cold drinks, it's going to put out that fire. So we want to have good metabolism. We want to be able to transform the food we eat, the environmental pollutions that we're exposed to. Any sensory stimuli, you know, we need to metabolize it well with our fire. You know, if me and you, Jetty, go to a movie and we watch a horror film, you may freak out and feel a lot of stress chemistry, but me, I'm feeling bliss, euphoria. It's the same movie. We have the same eyes. It's the way we both metabolized it. This is the fire. So we want to enhance our fire. But one thing is sipping hot water. It melts the toxins and flushes it. Like we use hot water to wash grease off dirty dishes. It will melt the toxins in our intestines and all over our body and flush it. For headaches, it opens the channels, it dilates them so that simply sip hot water when you have a headache will most probably reduce, if not go away. And you said plain hot water too, right? Because I know plain a lot of people get best. fancy with like the apple cider vinegar, lemon, cayenne pepper, all that plain stuff. Plain is the best because it will go to all the bodily channels. If you go to like apple cider vinegar, it will go to the liver specifically, or you put ginger, it will go to the digestive tract specifically, which is good when you need it, but plain just regularly. And I'll just kind of be sneaky and just add something into that, including in that one, because there's more. Uh -huh. It's just eat good, drink good quality water. Don't drink tap water. Ideally get spring water delivered, either or co harvest your own spring water or filter water and restructure it because, you know, People underestimate the importance of water. They think it's simple, but water is the most complex molecule. Scientists are baffled by water. 
and you are 99.92% water on a molecular level and 70% water by volume. So you need to optimize your water. If you're not getting water right, you cannot help any health issue. So just before we go on to the others, I got to say, I was encouraged to drink hot water to start my day by one of my indigenous teachers, not Ayurvedic, but just her wisdom. And I'm one who drinks coffee every morning. So I was replacing coffee. The results were remarkable. I almost didn't believe it. I was like, wow, I felt so energized just by drinking hot water. And that's all I would drink for the first few hours of the day. It was just hot water. And I felt like I had three cups of coffee, but not the like buzzy caffeine thing. Right. So personal testament to the value of this. Secondly, this is more of my curiosity when it comes to native primitive. If this is beneficial for our health, what about folks who didn't have access to a kettle? If we go back 10,000 years ago, were our ancestors drinking hot water for their health? And Yeah, they had fire. So they would heat it up. So there's evidence of them heating up water. and There's evidence of ancestors cooking food and drinks for, I think it's like 2 million years. This goes to the argument of, well, should I be eating raw foods or cooked foods? And what did our ancestors eat? And there's evidence that even Homo sapiens, which are you know before us, they were using fire to cook with. Fire is important to use and it's important to cook your food. Okay, great. So ancestral evidence too. Excellent. Let's keep rolling, man. What are some of the other top hitters? I'll say a second one is, okay, let's go to the circadian rhythm. So the time to be asleep is to be asleep before 10 p.m. and then wake up with the sunrise. So that you got to naturally slowly bring. So if you're going to bed at midnight and waking up 8 a.m. or 9 a.m., I say half an hour a week reduce your sleep and wake times until you're lying with circadian rhythms. And the reason for 10 o'clock is it's not about how many hours you sleep for. It's about when you sleep. So going to bed before 10 o'clock, it's about 10 till two. This is what the 2017 Nobel prize was won for, which is literally Ayurveda 101. It's between 10 till two is maximum melatonin. It's time when the liver repairs and detoxifies. So if you want to regenerate your body, heal the body, absorb micronutrients, we can look at vitamin deficiencies and mineral deficiencies. The time that we actually absorb those vitamin minerals is between 10 and two. So we need to be asleep then. And not only asleep, then we need to be free of electromagnetic fields. So no phone in the room. If you want the phone in your room, have it on airplane mode, turn the Wi-Fi right off at night. You're asleep anyway. You don't need it. Having a hygienic sleep environment is very important because sleep is obviously one of the three pillars of health. You want to get your sleep right. You can't get your sleep right. You can't get anything right, especially hormonal conditions. So if you're looking at any loss of libido in a man or reproductive issues, infertility, you need to get the sleep right. So sleep before 10, wake up before sunrise. And before sunrise is because you probably like know from experience, the more you sleep in, the more sluggish and fatigue you feel. Totally. When you wake up with the sunrise, you feel that energy. And that's because before sunrise is air and space element. It's creativity, clarity, lightness of being. But after sunrise or after 6 a.m. ish, it's earth element. So it's heavy sluggish. The more you sleep in, although you're in the bed for longer, the fatigue compounds that day. Mm. Again, my own experience could definitely <laughs> attest to that. I won't go into the story because I know we're running close on time here. But okay, so do you have one more maybe that's- I'll say one more, which I don't usually say specific to men's health. And it goes back to your question and prostate and infertility is, it's a funny one. Don't suppress your natural urges. So if you need to urinate, go urinate. If you need to ejaculate, and that's a big topic because we talk about that in South because it's a big thing. And if you're really at that point where you need to ejaculate, ejaculate. If you need to sneeze, sneeze. If you need to cough, cough. If you need to pass flatters, i.e. fart, fart. If you need to 
go to the passive bowel motion, go. Do not suppress the natural urges. In Ayurveda, these are considered a strong cause of disease and especially the urination because we do it too much. Don't even suppress it for a little while. This is one of the causes of the prostate issues. And it's not just prostate cancer, it's prostate enlargement, which is very common. And then frequent urination at night. This is becoming very common. You know, really you shouldn't be urinating at all, not even once in the night. So if you are, and especially if you're urinating twice or more, have a consultation. Like we need to work on your reproductive organs and your prostate, men or women. You know, the women also have issues with their urinary tract. So don't suppress the natural urges. And there's 14 natural urges in, which we talk about in Ayurveda. I like that. That's a tip that I've never heard before. So that's <laughs> really good. So one of them is tears. And that's why they say, you know, men have more heart attacks than women because women express themselves and let out their emotions and open their heart and cry it out. Oh, damn. We're just getting warmed up, dude. We're almost done with time. Okay. Well, we'll have to do a follow-up to this, but I want to make sure we touch on this element of how supporting women's health is also mm. in service to men's health, but just anything you have to say about that, because that's really important to me too. I'll just quickly touch on it and maybe in the next episode we can go because it's such a huge topic. Let's just for now speak about the menstrual cycle and just honoring the menstrual cycle of the women in your life. And what we need to know is that a menstrual cycle for women is like the greatest gift because it's a big detoxification for them. It's a purification. They're purified not only on the physical level, but more so on the subtle levels. It's like in indigenous cultures, like in Australia, the Aboriginals, when the woman gets her period, the men would do their dance and leave they would leave the women to be alone. You know, red tent in the Ayurveda as well, the women would stay with each other and the men would go. It's because it's this time of regeneration. It's like pulling back the bow, right? Just keep pulling it and hold it a bit more during the menstrual period so that after menstrual period, boom, you can go into life and go into ovulation with much more vitality. So how do us men facilitate that? We distance ourselves a little bit, you know, obviously like don't have sex during then, even as much touch as possible. Just it's such a powerful time for women to go inward and their creative, you know, it's the energy that they use to create a life. So that creative energy is there. We want to kind of allow them to just be with that. It's such a powerful energy that we don't want to interfere much. All right. That's why the Aboriginals, that's why the Indigenous cultures, they leave the women. It's too much for them. Once we start interfering with like sex, then we start bringing in sexual energies and the masculine and feminine getting more intense and even like exercises. And, you know, us men, what we can do is just cook more to let us take the roles of cooking, of cleaning, of taking care of the kids, letting them just to be more of a queen and just relax and rest and, and know that and let them be with themselves. And if they have the emotional purifications, PMS, let them do that in their own way and maybe encourage them to be with women during that time and let them let that out with women. So, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't know how many women listen to the podcast, but <laughs> all of them just became a big Dylan Smith fan. I can guarantee it. And I love that you said that too. I'll speak for myself. That's definitely something I have not appreciated as much as I could of how just another opportunity for me to be of service, to take care of my wife, to be mindful of my sisters, the women who are around me during that time. It's actually something I spent a lot of time in the Native American community. And one of the things I've come to appreciate in the teachings is that when there's another ceremony, let's say we're doing any kind of ceremony, that if a woman is on her moon time, if she's menstruating, she's not able to be there. And a lot of people have had a really hard time with that. It's labeled as misogynist. I think the teaching hasn't quite translated from the indigenous reason behind that and modern understanding of it. It's the exact same here. 
they're not understanding the essence of that teaching. And that's what we can go into next time of like, same with Ayurveda says like women should not do ceremony. Women should not even cook. Women should not bathe. Why? What's the true reason behind that? Appreciate that ancient wisdom. And you see it in the true essence, then you understand. I think when it's also met with support, go be by yourself and I'll take care of everything while you're gone. So it's okay. I think a lot of times there needs to be that as well for women to feel safe and taken care of in that instead of just discarded and left by themselves. So very much looking forward to part two of this conversation (laughs) because I know that's going to be great for the whole community, men and women alike to appreciate that. I love that you brought that perspective in because it's even helping me to understand that a little bit more because I've taken it at face value. I trust my indigenous elders and the people who I've trusted in those spaces, but there's a level of that teaching that hasn't quite permeated to the modern folk. Let's just say the Western-minded folks who don't have that long-standing legacy of this teaching and understand why. So that's beautiful, man. With the last couple of minutes we've got left, I'll ask you just a few lightning style questions before we cut out. And then you can tell everybody where to go and find out more about you and your clinic and your work because it's tremendous, man. I'm a huge fan right now. Okay, so what's one thing you've learned in your life you wish you knew when you were 18? The first thing came to mind is to respect a woman during her menstrual cycle. You know, I was Uh doing things with my girlfriend that I shouldn't have been doing. Beautiful. What do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Be authentic. Cool. What does the world need most from men right now? To honor the feminine more and honor the women in life and respect them and do it from a place with an open heart. Last but not least, where should people go to follow you, find you, hear more about what you're offering and what you put out into the world? Well, the website is vitalveda.com.au and there we have a lot of articles. My passion is giving education. So, you know, we've got, for example, an article on, on a healthy guide to a menstrual period for the women and many articles. We've got a podcast as well, which is the Vital Veda podcast. And on Instagram is where I post the knowledge most regularly and that's Vital Veda. If you want to do online consultation with me, you can reach out via the website. I work with people around the world. Awesome, man. Well, as soon as we stop recording here, I'm going to get you booked for another session because we got to have that conversation. Thank you so much for being on here and bringing all of that wisdom. And it's very clear that you've done a ton of work in your life to really have come to a level of understanding and wisdom around this and appreciate you genuinely giving that back to the community. Thank you, man. I really appreciate the work. And I can tell just how good the authenticity of your work and the honesty in your work honesty of knowing where you are and vulnerability of saying, oh, maybe I don't know these things and a really open mind. So I appreciate that. Well received, man. Thank you so much and look forward to having you on for part two. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this. Make sure before you click off of this episode, you go and check out Elements at risingman.org Elements. It's coming up April 16th to 18th and we still have a few spots left. So make sure you go grab one today. And for everything else that's going on Rising Man related, check it out at risingman.org. Subscribe and follow us wherever you listen to us. Check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Movement and on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. Big ups to the Power Squad, Sean, Julian, Mark, Kyle, Ryan, Ryan, and Rowan. I love you guys. Thank you guys for always standing strong and helping me carry this mission forward. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.